think we're talking about what does it take for the mind to arrive at a level when it can have what I call the aha moment, the eureka moment, the moment where you say, I got it. I got, I got part of it. Usually not so got it. So Suchim so got it. Usually it's got, oh, I got a little bit. Got a little bit better than got nothing, right? Okay. First, seven factors of enlightenment. Satta, seven. Bhajanga, bodhi anga. Bodhi, you've no knowledge. Eh? Anga, factors. So, seven factors for enlightenment. I call them the seven conditions that must be present in the mind before enlightenment, before you can understand the Dhamma. There was a sutta in the Samyutta Nikaya. It was a conversation between the Buddha and one of his top disciples, Kasapa. It's called the Kasapa Bhujanga Sutta. In it, Kasapa was sick. He was unwell, physically sick. And he was getting worse. And he was in pain. He mm, and all oh, and ah, very bad. Okay? So the Buddha went to him and the Buddha, the Buddha reminded him of the practice. And this is what the Buddha, and this was what the Buddha said. Kasapa, these seven factors of enlightenment are well expounded by me and are cultivated and fully developed by me. They are conducive to perfect understanding, to full realization, and to nibbana. So you need to have a series of seven factors. These seven factors make it possible for you to have perfect understanding, full realization, and the experience of Nibbana. Understand? This, this part is easy. Okay? So what are these seven factors? Incidentally, uh, what, what that part means about full, perfect understanding, full realization, it means you will develop knowledge and you will understand the knowledge and you will experience the Dhamma. All three parts. Okay? Everything I said last week. So what are these seven factors? Sati, most famous, sati. Meaning to say, translated correctly as mindfulness. Clear attention to something. Full awareness of something. Okay? Sati. Dhammavichaya. Dhammavichaya means a state of mind that investigates the Dhamma. That examines, that reflects on the Dhamma. Virya, uh, energy, energized. Piti, delight. A mind that's delighted. Pasadi, tranquil, 
Samadhi, Concentrated Upeka Equanimity. Let me explain them all. What the Buddha was saying is in a mind that is ready to realize the Dhamma, that mind of yours must be in a state where the following conditions are present. They are not sequential. You must remember that they are not sequential. Meaning to say, aha, this is mindfulness. Aha, this is Dhamma Vichaya. Aha, 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 aha. It's not like that. It's if you look at that mind, you can see they are like this all together. One lump sum. Macam dikastasyong meal. You come together. Cipai lai. Not take one, take macam buffet like that. Take one, pick one, pick one. Not like that. One go all on the table. Chinese banquet style. Actually, not Chinese banquet style. It comes sequentially, right? Chinese banquet style, but put together. You must remember that, okay? So imagine, ah, uh, this is what the mind should look like. You have perfect mindfulness. Now, if you say not possible for the mind to be like this, you haven't done meditation. Because if you were to do meditation, like what you did just now, I don't know what you did just now. You were supposed to be doing meditation just now, okay? If you were doing meditation correctly, you should be experiencing a few factors at one go, right? You feel concentrated. You feel light. You feel uh, clarity. There's a certain delight in you. If you go a bit further, you feel calm, magnanimous towards all, malice towards none. They are all in your mind at the same time, so it's possible. The mind can have more than one factors at any one time. So, in the mind that is what you would call balanced enough to realize the dhamma, a mind. That is, that is ready, that is balanced enough to realize the Dhamma, that mind must have the following states. It has to be very sharp in its mindfulness, meaning to say, you can spot the arising of anything, any thought, any, cons any connection between your sense organs with an external or internal state stimulus, you can spot the arising of that connection. And you can track if you want to track. And you can observe how the phenomenal changes. You understand? Okay. Not quite. Tell me, right now, in your mind, is there a thought? When did it come up? Don't know. At what point when it come out, what were you doing? No, don't know. If you are very sharp in your mindfulness, your spotting capability, the point when it arises, you would have spotted it. As the thought arises, as the thought arises, you would have spotted it. Or, sorry, as the thought arose, you would have spotted it. 
You understand? So, mindfulness to a point, the, the quality of mindfulness is so sharp that you can actually see how the thought, how your feelings, how your state of mind morph, how it changes, how it gets transformed. So the mindfulness is that sharp. And it's not a, it's not a sudden thing. You would have been mindful for a while. So you have been observing and observing and observing and observing the mind for quite a while before you can actually see how the mind morphs, how it changes. So you're, you're, you're able to see that, okay? That's the sharpness of the mindfulness. A mind that is so clear, so mindful, that mind automatically will be examining phenomena arises that instinct to examine the phenomenal as it arises that instinct is called dhamma vichaya so while you are practicing mindfulness of brushing teeth it's my favorite example because i assume you all brush your teeth twice a day minimally right my dentist say twice enough but minimally when you're brushing your teeth and you track the entire process of brushing, from the point you pick up the toothpaste and the toothbrush, and you put this, you squirt the toothpaste on the toothbrush, you actually track the whole process. As you are tracking and you're very mindful and you took 10 minutes to brush that set of teeth, you will be so mindful. That 10 minutes is enough for you to develop some Dhamma Vichaya. 10 minutes are 10 minutes. You brush less than 10 minutes, go back, brush again. <laughs> no, seriously, if you do it for long enough, Dhamma Vichaya will arise. You start examining it, okay? So you start examining the phenomenal. When you are examining in that state, the mind is very energetic. You spot things, the mind gets excited. It gets very light. That's very uh, energized, interested, enthusiastic. You like you throw in all the, the, the adjectives. It gets light, it gets bubbly, it gets enthusiastic. It, it's very interested in all the little, 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 little phenomena that is arising and it's spotting it. It's spotting and it's studying it. Okay? As you keep staring and studying and, and it's very energetic, you will feel delight. It's a pleasurable feeling. If you spot and you get energized and you get depressed, something is wrong. You will not uh -uh, get depressed. And if you start off depressed, at this point, it's your cure. I'm serious. If you start off being angry, being upset, being depressed, you can get the mind to be so mindful and you can get the mind to be energized at checking away, examining away, that mind will suddenly switch and become delighted. It's a very pleasurable experience. It's delightful. Okay? When the mind, this is an automatic process. It's like 
putting French fries into the oil to boil and you set it for don't know how many minutes. I don't know how long it takes to boil, uh, to, to fry. The moment you press the button, the whole process is mechanized. It will automatically lead on. So if your mind already has all these qualities, embedded in it is the deep sense of peace. It will come up. Or it's there. If it's not there, it will come up. The sense of peace, the sense of calm. If you meditate and you are focused, you should also experience rapture, pity, delight, and calm. Peace, pasadi. When your mind get to this point of delight and calm and so on, Concentration is a breeze. It's very focused. And when it's very focused, it becomes balanced. At that point, nothing should be able to upset you. Why? Because you are detached, you are delighted, you are calm, if something upsets you, it has to be really, really, really bad. It has to like bring you from a high down. Most time, you're very detached. Have you ever experienced things like that? Good. Some of you are nodding merrily. That state of mind, with all these conditions embedded, is a mind that is ready to understand the Dhamma. That is a point where if you turn the mind towards the Buddha's teaching, insights can arise. That point. Most of us, when we are trying to understand the Dhamma, we might be reading. A mind that has been reading if it is focused, if it is calm, if there is deep concentration, there is a chance it can understand better what is said on the text. It can understand better. But it cannot, it does not necessarily, I don't think it has that capacity to have the, that eureka moment. The conditions are not complete, not completely aligned. That's my opinion. I could be wrong. That's my opinion. If you're just reading, it's not quite it. You don't quite generate the right condition. The right conditions can be generated only in my mind, in, in, my, in my own uh, understanding. The conditions, these conditions can be generated only when you, you are very, very mindful. Not necessarily close eyes, deep meditation. It can. Close eyes, deep meditation can happen. But usually when you're very mindful, day-to-day -day activities. So when you're waiting at a bus stop, when you're sitting on the bus or MRT, if it works, when, not when you're driving, of course, not so good. When you are going for your walks, uh, when you are arguing with people, it doesn't work. 
sometimes it's more solitary type of activities where you have time to allow that mind to settle down and then start being observant. Okay? So they are not sequential, they are not they are simultaneously present, they are connected, and their conditions. It's non-negotiable. There are conditions that must be present before the mind can understand. In another sutta, it's called the Bhavana Nu Yutta Sutta. Nu, it's Anu Yutta, so Bhavana Nu Yutta Sutta. Mental Development Discourse in the Anguttara Nikaya. The Buddha was recorded as saying, Monks, although a monk who does not apply himself to the meditation development of his mind by may wish. It sounds like you. It sounds like a lot of us. Although a monk who does not apply himself to the meditation development of the mind may wish. Meaning to say, you don't meditate, but you wish. Oh, that my mind might be free from the taints of non-clinging. You understand that? You don't meditate, but you wish that your mind can don't cling. Okay? May wish, may, sorry, oh, that my mind might be free from the taints of non-cleaning, yet his mind will not be freed. You don't meditate, but you wish that you will cling, you will not be so clinging, that you will cling less, but it won't work. Why? The Buddha said. Because he has not developed his mind. Not developed in what? And this is what I'm going to share over and above the seven factors of enlightenment. You see, seven factors of enlightenment is what I would consider almost the final step. When you are at the threshold of understanding the Dhamma. But before you get to that threshold, there's a lot of other things which many people don't actually talk about because they didn't realize there's so many things. There's a whole series of other things that you've got to prepare the mind for. The mind has to have all these other things before it gets to the point where it can develop the seven factors of enlightenment. You understand? So given that this audience has a mixture of experienced meditators as well as early seekers, new seekers, I thought I should also introduce you to the other things. And then you can do your own mental ticking. Got, got it, got it, got it. Check, check, check. Oops, not done. Okay? And what are these other things? It starts off with the four foundations of mindfulness. Meaning to say, before you get to the part where we say, let's talk about mindfulness, the Buddha says, let's develop mindfulness. Let's learn what is mindfulness, mindfulness and learn how to develop that. So the very first step starts with the four foundations of mindfulness. What, is this, what are these four foundations of mindfulness? The Buddha gave a series of 
object for the mind to pay attention to. And to cut a very long story short, for foundation of mindfulness, I've discussed this like many times. To cut a very long story short, the four sets of objects are, first set, your physical form. Everything associated, everything associated with your physical form. Breathing, standing, walking, sitting, lying down that your physical form has all kinds of little unique features, nails, hair, bile, sweat, etc., etc., etc. The physical form. Observe that form. When you sit, when you eat, when you moved, when you brush your teeth, and so on and so forth. Okay? So observe using the physical form for the mind to pay attention to. That's one. Second one, feelings. All of us talk with passion about our feelings. But the Buddha said, don't waste time. Feelings, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. That's it. Don't wax poetry over your feelings. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Feelings. States of mind. Con meaning to say, I'm feeling delighted, the state of mind, pleasant, broad. Or if you're depressed, it's down, it's heavy, it's weighted, and so on and so forth. This state of mind. And finally, looking at the conditions in the mind and trying to think and, 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 and identifying with the Dhamma. They call it Dhamma. Actually, it's it's actually conditions of your mind. But, you know, things like sloth and torpor, energize, and so on and so forth. So basically, the first thing with regards to mindfulness is to bring mindfulness home. Home to yourself. Mindful about what? Mindful about how this body works. How the Nama Rupa works. The body and the mind. So your four foundations of mindfulness focuses the mind's attention on phenomenal that develop within your mind, your mind and within your body. And this is with you at all time, unless you have out-of-body experience, in which case it's not my area of specialization. For most of us, we stay within the body, right? Yes? Okay. And we stay within the body must mean that you carry it everywhere you go. It's portable. So it means at any one time you want to be mindful, you have the necessary material to be mindful. It's with you. Okay? So the first step is called Four Foundations Mindfulness. The second lot it's called the four kinds of striving. Samutpada. What striving? Look into your mind. And your mind you will find there are positive states and there are negative states. Yes? When you feel like scolding somebody, is that positive or negative? 
neutral there. Buddha says it's negative because it's based on anger. If you want to buy something, and you must, 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 you must get the handbag. Positive or negative? Positive, nah. Because it's based on craving. It's not a case of it's good or bad. It's not good or bad. It's based on skillful, whether it takes skill or it is unskillful. You see, giving in to the temptation to buy the handbag doesn't take skill. You just take money. Yes? Giving in to the temptation to buy something is not skillful. It's not positive. You give, when, you, when you keep giving in, what happens is the mind gets, the craving, the craving level rises. And more craving means more dukkha. Okay? So you, get, you must see that connection. Get, holding on to restrain, to smack someone, or to unleash your anger, takes skill, right? And therefore, it's called kusala, skillful. So, in this force driving, basically it is like that. When there is a negative, unskillful instinct arising in your mind, arising, you stop it. If it's already there, when you, when you, when you realize the mind it's already there, you purge it. You force it out of the mind. Let, let go of the thought. If there is no skillful mind, skillful state in the mind, meaning to say there isn't giving, there isn't friendliness, there isn't kindliness, if it's not there, you try to develop it. And if it is there, you're feeling very magnanimous, very benign, very benevolent, let it flow. Four efforts. You will say, uh, no problem. Really? Do you know why this thing is part after four, the four foundations of mindfulness? Because most times we don't even realize they are there. The thief has entered the house. The doors are all unguarded. And we are very merry. Because we didn't realize that all those shadows are in. So here is part after the other one because because mindfulness is required for you to spot your intruders and to get rid of them or to recognize a friend and to keep them around. Mindfulness is required to do that. So the four foundations of mindfulness and the four strivings, they go together. If your mindfulness is not sharp, I can almost guarantee your house is like Center Point or Lucky Plaza on a Sunday. It's a shopping mall. People go in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. It doesn't matter. And likewise, you will be, you, you are like, um, what's that thing called? Bungee jumping, you know? Up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. Just thank goodness you're not dead in the bouncing. Okay? What other requirements do you need to have in order for you to get to a point where you have the seven factors of enlightenment? Buddha calls it idipada. 
it is part the uh, basis for success. So there should be this, these other conditions in the mind. You should have will. You should have energy. You should have discrimination. And you should have some clarity. What is this will? A desire to succeed? A desire to get it done? A determination to get it done? You have to have energy. A lot of us make all kinds of resolution sometimes, most time, beginning of the year, sometime on your birthday. They are always updated. Most time because we never quite get the check the checks done. Right? Right? And sometimes we are so bad at it we decided not to make any more. Like, we got a lot of resolutions unfulfilled. So this will is you make a resolution, you make a determination to have something done, you will get it done. That clarity, I mean that, that firmness and the energy to do it. We say we want to do it, but what's that expression that goes, uh, spirit is willing, the flesh is weak or something like that? Huh? Ah, yeah, law. You know what I mean, ah, dot, 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 dot. Discrimination, I love this one. In Pali, it's called Vimangsa. The problem with the word with discrimination is we all have our own impression of what it means. By discrimination here, it means the mind is able to decide correctly what is right, what is wrong, what should be done, what should not be done. And then, accordingly, you do or you don't do. I don't think I should be doing this. The mind has that clarity. Then don't do it. So you exercise judgment. Correct judgment. That's discrimination. You choose, you pick and choose correctly. Why is this important? Let me give you an example and you see how important it is. All of you are feeling rather generous, right? Suppose, let's say, people come to you for contribution, for donation. One, two, three. A whole bunch of fellas coming already because you, are, you just won the lottery. La. Then you not not so bright, tell the whole world. So all this coming to you. Huh? Do you have to pick and choose? Or you pai kai fong? Just sit and give. You will pick and choose. You are all, most of you here, I say most, la, I give allowance for the extreme minorities. Most of you here consider yourself relatively national average good person, right? I say national average, ma. But so I give allowance for the extremes, uh, the really good and the really uh, <coughs> not so great. Uh, huh? So, national average good person means you will help, 
Then you feel bad when you don't help. Then when do you help and when do you help? Then you help already, then how? And dot, 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 right? Don't you have this kind of dilemmas? How do you decide? How do you say yes, no, right, wrong? How, how do you decide? So the moment, the point where you're making all these judgment call, do I help? Do I give? How much do I give? How much do I help? These are all wimangser. Being discriminate. If you are the holy martyr, liao lo, no need to practice because you will be going around and helping the world and saving the world and in the process killing yourself. It will happen. All depleted energy. You understand that? So wimangsa is the capacity to decide to make good judgment and to move on. Tell me this is not important. Of course it's important. You need to make judgment about the practice. So, and the last one is the mind. Consciousness. Clarity of that mind. Clarity of the mind to know what must be done. So let me put it all together. You decide that you want to understand the Dhamma in this life. You're not going to postpone it. Okay? You said, I'm going to try and understand this Dhamma in this life. You make that determination. So that's Chanda, the will. Then you say, I will do it regardless. I will try. And you get very energetic. You're very motivated to start. So you go. Okay? That's energy. And along the way, you encounter all kinds of, of obstacles. You met all kinds of teachers who tells you all kinds of things. You get all sorts of confusion. So you need to make some judgment call. You make the right judgment call. If your understanding is correct, your mind is clear, your understanding is somewhat correct, you stay somewhat focused to the Dhamma, your GPS working properly, your judgment calls will all be right. This one, uh, better, better, siam. This one can follow. This one, the understanding, uh, not bad. I think can follow. It will be like that. This is all the early stages. Later stage, when you are now very well practiced, it will still need all these qualities. Because as you are practicing, you begin to see a bit more of the Dhamma. You begin to have ideas. Okay? You will get ideas when you pr start to practice. You will start to make your own conclusions about what your experience means. You get the wrong wimangsa, your conclusions, your judgment call, or suda. Uh, how do you say wrong? Never mind, wrong. <laughs> Malay limited. Gabra, huh? huh? Gabra. <laughs> so you make all kinds of wrong judgment call and you end up in the wrong track and you go in the wrong direction. You understand? So the importance of these little qualities. And then there are two sets which the book the call faculties indriya and bala they are the same. The only difference is that at one level they are capabilities. At another level, they become the powers you can tap on. Potential 
and power, if you think of it that way. Okay? And these are the five, the five indriyas and the five balas. You need to have sadda, faith, virya, the word energy comes out again, sati, mindfulness, samadhi, concentration, panya, wisdom. There you go. How come same words? They are different. They are the same words in English and in Pali, but what they are supposed to do, this particular quality, what it's supposed to do for you is different. The difference being this. Here you are a practitioner already. By this point, uh, I'm no longer talking about beginner who's going shopping. Not sure what they want out of Dhamma, maybe Friday, Saturday, Sunday, one day, like one of the days, go down, practice a bit, then that's it. Don't know, don't know what's going on. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a practitioner. Someone at some point made a determination to say, in this life, I try to see something. I try to understand the Dhamma as much as possible. I'm talking about that man, that person, that lady, that man. Okay? Got to be gender specific. So now you have a practitioner. And here what the Buddha is saying, what does it take to lift you? To take you from one point where you are kind of meandering around to a point where you are more focused, more targeted, you will go somewhere. What does it take? So what it takes at this point is you will require in your GPS some tools that will keep you in the correct direction. And these tools are Sadda. When you set off, I tell you what's the difference in Sadda, okay? When you are new, when you don't know anything about the Dhamma, and you're coming for Dhamma talk for the first time, not a session like this. You go for one of the sessions that talks about what, who's the Buddha, what's the Dhamma, who are the Sangha, and so on and so forth. And the, the, one of those sessions where you know what's going on, huh? that session. At that point, when you listen to the talk, and whatever is said resonates with you. You say, it makes sense. I kind of like what they said here. I think I can become a Buddhist. Lah. That point. Huh? That sadda, that requires a little bit of faith. You listen, you like the message, it resonates with you, it connects with you, and you say, I will be a Buddhist. You have a small understanding of the message, and you say, now I will go and try and understand the message further. That point, that start point, at that point you need sadda. Why do you need sadda? Sadda is faith. Why do you need faith? Because at that point you haven't seen Nibbana. At that point you don't know the Buddha. At that point you only have the, the, the words of a man who passed away 2,500 years ago. Of course it requires faith of sort. Yes? Nah? Yes? No? No? Yes? 
Yes, sure, yes, one. It's like, this answer is obvious. Huh? Okay. Now, you graduate already. Quite killed already. You have spent time meditating because you've got the four foundations of mindfulness, right? You've got four foundations of mindfulness. You've got the striving. You're practicing well. Yes? So you are no longer the starry, starry eye fella that started out on this journey. You are now somebody who is intermediate. Primary six. Intermediate already. So at this point, why do you need sadder? You ask. Because this is the point where you, you really are practicing and you really can see your mind and sometimes it drives you nuts. And then you kept asking yourself, where is this journey leading? Am I heading in the right direction, the wrong direction? What keeps you anchored here? Is your belief that there is something at the end of a journey. Yes? You must still believe that there is Nibbana and you want to see that. You must still believe that the Buddha knew what he was talking. He didn't swan you. Yes? So therefore, Sadda is still important but at a much, much higher level. Because you have already gone onto the journey and the journey is tough. Sorry, uh, for those who are, haven't started out, it is tough. <laughs> I'm so sorry to give you the, what do you call it, spoiler. It will be tough. Because, why is it tough? Because our mind is a cesspool. Our mind is a garbage we store up so many nonsense all cluttered inside there. You need to detox slowly. And you all know, for those of you who had tried detoxing your liver, it's a tough, it's a tough process. So this journey of self-discovery, this journey of learning to be at peace with yourself is not easy. And therefore, you need Sadda, the faith that at the end of this struggle, something is there for you. But the good thing is it's in this life, if you get it right. Okay? Why do you still need energy? Why does this word energy keep coming up? Because you know how many people got, gave up because of lack of energy. Every step of the way, what keeps you going is drive. Every step. Whether when you first start out waking up and going to temple, that one step is already energy. Sunday leh. The one day your boss doesn't call you. Some bosses do, don't work for them. <laughs> but seriously, that energy, every step of the way, you need it in different amount. So the Buddha would be remiss in his duties, if it doesn't tell you, you need energy to keep going. It's not just energy, it is drive. The determination to go on. What keeps you on the right path? Sati, Samadhi. You see the importance of these two? Because you're watching your mind, you see, 
this journey of self-discovery is about knowing your mind. And the only way you can understand the mind is if you pay very close attention to it. Paying close attention to the mind, paying close attention is mindfulness. Full of mind. Mindfulness. I thought I was being clever. <laughs> mindfulness. What is samadhi? Samadhi is when you can pay attention and complete it without being distracted. Without dropping it at all. Samadhi is you are able to lock and stay. You understand? Mindfulness is you're able to track and move. So think of it this way. If you, your mind is able to lock, not let go, and track, that mind is skillard, ready, ready, ready already. Most time, we don't realize. We can either lock or we can track. But if you cannot lock and track, what it means is you will track and then it keep dropping. Brush teeth, then think of watching TV, la, go eating, la, do something, call someone. Then, oh, 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 my fullness, my fullness. Back to uh, which tooth am I brushing now? <laughs> you see, you, you, you lock, lock, you can't, you, you can't track. You track all over the place. Okay? It's like telling a six-year-old to watch the two-year-old. Your mind is two-year-old, six-year-old is mindfulness. So imagine a six-year-old going after the two-year-old. You trust the fella? How long do you think the two of them will watch each other? Your six-year-old will watch halfway, they go eat ice cream. Meanwhile, the, the, the younger one has run off. The, the mind has gone off. You, you get it? So samadhi, concentration meditation, helps you to grow your six-year-old mind uh, tracker into the 21-year-old energized, focused tracker. Okay, one older also can, uh, 35. Doesn't matter. I'm easy. Okay? So you need to grow it. Make, it. make it sharp, make it able to have persistence and perseverance in tracking. The last one says Paneer. What is Paneer? Did, was this the place where I have been teaching all over? I forget. Was this the place where I say if you see the thunder, it is knowledge? Huh? Okay. Pania, P-A-N-N-A, the N-N has two wriggly lines and A has a thunder. It means knowledge of sort. But this Pania is what we call the Kilat Pania. This is where you have wisdom. This is where you have what it takes to understand the Dhamma. Wisdom. Wisdom with knowledge. Not what we call street wisdom or old folks wisdom. I don't know what that means. It means all knowledge may or may not be applicable. This is knowledge of the Dhamma. Wisdom. Okay? All these, all these, you need to prepare before the mind gets to the seven factors of enlightenment. Okay? So, 
not good enough actually to just happily let's go for the seven factors and another first one is what mindfulness okay develop mindfulness sure can can a bit time lah because the mindfulness that you will develop is actually the four foundations of mindfulness first right at the start but is it sequential no actually they're not really sequential either they're not they can be when you start when you first start you got to start somewhere when you first started when you first start out on this journey you got to start somewhere right you got to catch one bus then yes you got to catch the bus that is called four foundations of mindfulness that's the first bus you need to catch and then as you journey on you will develop the ability now to spot what is the content in your mind and as you see the content in your mind you know what to drop and what to keep what to grow and what to purge you're very good at that now and then you need to make sure that you stay focused stay committed stay enthusiastic on this journey believe that it will lead to something have the faith that it will lead to something you see you see how they are all connected all this has to be there but in the meantime you're still on that bus the four foundation mindfulness bus you didn't go anywhere you didn't climb up the bus for foundation drop off the bus go take another mrt which is called the four strivings it, it's not like that four striving four foundations for all, all the seven four all the numbers are all on that bus it's a very long number bus it's on the same bus you're still in the journey you're still going on the nibbana route the scenic nibbana route highway will be faster but most of us take scenic route right we take i tell you why we're late people all take scenic route some of us take detour why because nibbana like not very exciting so we take detour trust me this route keep it going in the right direction it's worth our while okay then after the seven factors of enlightenment still got one more after the seven factors of enlightenment comes the eightfold path the shocker then you go isn't eightfold path supposed to start it all yeah that's why i kept telling you it's a whole lump sum together four seven four four five <laughs> all together on one bus you're on this bus and you need to be mindful that in this bus you are on a bus that's called eightfold path so the seven factors of enlightenment is not divorced from your eightfold path they're all together basically the buddha just say this is what he's saying understand that to realize this dhamma there is a manual the manual is called the eightfold path you want me to break it down further for you so that you can practice the different parts properly i break it down into all these parts for you so you can collapse it's like an email chain you see you can collapse it into a eightfold path or you can open everything up and then it stretches into all these parts for you to be mindful of okay now to sum it up we need to sum up at some point to sum it up basically 
the Buddha's method, the Buddha's path, is like IKEA instruction manual. All the parts are there. And they all, when you put them together, comes to a picture. You can, you can have an idea of the object you want, not like the cupboard you want, that object, and you kind of meander your way through without looking at the manual. But usually, wouldn't work. Yeah? Or you can pick the broad parts and improvise along the way. The broad part meaning your eightfold path. Just nail that. Just go for the eightfold path. Then you don't deviate. So that's only broad part. You never look at the screw, never look at all the little parts. I don't care, don't care. We just get a big picture, have a broad idea. We fix it up. Good enough. It can work. Eightfold path. And then when you realize, after you've gone through your eightfold path and you realize, you look back and you go, oh, so this is the seven factors of enlightenment. Got it. Oh, this is, they will all be there. When you get the picture at the end, you look back and you see that the parts are all there. It's just that when you were going through, you never spotted them because you are just fixated on the big picture. Or you could be the other way type. I call the left brain approach to things. You go through every single screw that they, the, the, the IKEA manual tells you. You must fix together every little things, little, little, little parts. You know everything. You attend every Dhamma talk. Read everything the Buddha ever said. So you are one of those that will fix everything. And then finally, you see the big picture. Also can. Doesn't matter. Whatever you are comfortable with. Okay? So you can go for all the talks that tells you about the, the, the seven factors of enlightenment, the five ED partner, this, that, and other. Or you can just go for the stomach talk that says eightfold path. That's it, the big one. And that's how you practice also. It doesn't matter. As long as you stay, as long as you're committed, as long as you believe this thing works, you want to give it a shot, and then every day you check with yourself, are you feeling better? Do you feel good? Does it make you feel energized? The Dhamma does that. If you're on the right track, you should actually feel good even while you're feeling bad. It's hope. You will feel good. It will work. And, and it keeps you going, you see. One little success build, building on the previous success. And it goes on. Okay? Question. Shall we say uh, sadhu three times? Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Okay, so now this is a Q&A time. Anyone have any questions? I made a mistake. I accepted to talk about this topic, which is a very difficult topic to understand for people who are new to the Dhamma. So, if I do come back here, the next topic will be about who's the Buddha? <laughs> What's the Dhamma? <laughs> And who are the Sangha? Because I think I really do think that for for you who are who, if you're new to this to the to the Dhamma world, you need to start off 
understanding why we are doing this. Who is this person that we are following? And why do we think he's on the right track? A lot of us have already given up, up, given up beliefs that died out many years ago, right? I mean, you know, we lived through 2,500 years. And 2,500 years, many, many values have been dumped on the roadside because we reject them as irrelevant in the time and age. But the dumber, interestingly, 2,500 years later, we say it's still valid. Still work, working order. Just brush off the dust, it works. That's because you never use it. So for those of you, if you are interested to know a little bit more about beginner's dhamma, I think I'll do that the next time I come. <laughs> yes, uh, any question? Hello, Sister Sylvia Bay. Uh, another excellent exposition. Uh, Thanks a lot. Now, you touched on, I think, a very relevant issue for beginning beginners, beginners or, or, or uh, even intermediate. It's the question of having the will to uh, overcome our cluttered mind. Cesspool, as you said correctly. So, among the, uh, this, this, the four factors of what uh, the... the uh, not enlightened, but the uh, effort, right? One of which is the will. I think. I think the will. Uh, obviously, as you s as you are well aware, the sometimes we feel uh, pretty energized. Other times, uh, maybe defeated by our own weaknesses. So, how how would you advise on? all the beginners or non-beginners to overcome, to use the will or to develop the will to overcome periods of weaknesses or periods of, let's say, even say going backwards, right? Back, backsliding. Thanks. Very practical question. Uh, <coughs> I think from my own experience. I'm just sharing experience. I, I, I can't claim that it's the best solution for everyone. But going by what myself uh, have gone through, hope that maybe I can share something that can be useful for you also. My, my biggest problem when I started out, when I was new to the Dhamma, uh, is ignorance. I don't know. I don't know I don't understand, I can read, I can understand conceptually, but, uh, but I don't know what's going on. Meaning to say, okay, I can memorize all these words, all these words, I can even do them in Pali, no big deal. But how is it relevant to me in my life? So I, I actually studied uh, Dhamma conceptually for two years without meditation. And I was getting really good. I mean, I got straight A's for my results, but that's not Dhamma, right? Until I went for my meditation. Uh, went for my first retreat way back, 1994, I think. Um, Pulau Ubin. Oh, Dukkha Arya Satya. 
Pulau Ubin, you know, got mosquitoes. The mosquitoes all got GPS one. Humans, good for you, okay? I I saw this poor meditator sitting in front of me and decided never wear black again ever. Because his entire back was filled with mosquitoes. It was that bad, yes. I encourage everyone to go to Pulau Ubin for retreat. And that was when I had my first um, taste of Tuka. Of course, at that time, I didn't understand what I was experiencing. I had my first taste of Tuka, and I had my first taste of as a little part of how the Dhamma come together. It's way back, 94. Um, one, one little, small iota of insight a small insight that kept me anchored in the Dhamma through the periods of my confusion. Meaning to say, it was important, at least for me, it was important to see for myself that there was a particular phrase that the Buddha said which correlated with my personal experiential experience, an experience. If you don't see for yourself that the Buddha's words has immediate relevance in your life, you see it working in your life, you don't see the connection, it is difficult in my mind, it is difficult have a relevance for Dhamma. Because they are all words, and lots and lots of words. Words that talks about the mind. Words that talks about how, how your mind is supposed to work under different circumstances and so on and so forth. But that little one episode, which for me showed the immediate meaning of the words, for me, I was hooked. I knew that my faith in the Dhamma was born. It's a faith in the Dhamma. And then, if you have faith, this is where faith is so important. Once faith is born, when you encounter problems, and you will, because this is life, it is the very nature of life that you will have conditions for problems to arise, right? So when you experience problems, for me, I will flip, 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 flip into the Dhamma somewhere to see the correlation. Because of the correlation, to me, is yet another learning experience. This makes sense. This is exactly how I feel. This is exactly, exactly how I experience this. And then, again, affirming the, con the, con the confidence. It's constantly this, this toggle, you see? Seeing how the Dhamma applies in my life, understanding what it means, taking it from there. The correlation keeps me anchored in the Dhamma. Difficulties in life will always be there. Why? Because we live amongst people and people will have conflicting interests, conflicting wants, conflicting demands. And naturally, 
automatically conflicting priorities. Because their priority is them, your priority is you. Already conflicting, ma. So it's a natural thing to have difficulties and problems. If you can contain your own expectations and you can transform your own sense of the world, priorities of the world, your own worldview, if you can transform that, then you will find that instead of saying, people are so annoying, you'll be saying, people are so endearing. They're so eccentric, so cute. Rather unusual, aren't they? You start to have empathy, you see. That is why the better practitioner you are, the more the Dhamma seeps into you, the more you embodies the dhamma, embody the Dhamma, the more you will become like this. You know this thing about Brahma Vihara? Constantly they talk about the Brahma Vihara, the noble living, which has been, by the way, uh, this is the cute part, it's a little known knowledge. You know there is a, they call it, they call it the four-faced Buddha in uh, Thailand. Oh, everybody knows, right? That is Brahma Vihara. That is the embodiment of the four Brahma Vihara. And what are they? Metta, Karuna, Mudita, Upeka. Metta, which has been translated as loving kindness, which I don't like the translation. I call it friendliness. It's more friendliness. Karuna is compassion. Mudita is having empathy and be happy about it. Having empathy with another and be happy. And Upeka is balance. Unaffected by the ups and downs of life. Balance. When you start to live the Dhamma, once you become very... You, you, you see the Dhamma everywhere. Once it gets there, then these four characteristics becomes very much a part of you. So when you look at the world, it's not an antagonistic place anymore. The world is not them versus me or them versus us. The world is the world. The world. We <laughs> friend with the world. You understand that? So the whole being of you will change. That's the beauty of the Dhamma. Once you understand it, you change. And once you change, you understand it better. And it toggles between. It's like that. And so you are at peace with the world. So the little things that you talk about, the, the anxieties, the pain, the angst, and so on and so forth, they will start to become less important and then completely irrelevant. And that's where the, these angst and pains will just kind of flow in and out. It comes and it goes. That's why the Buddha promised that if you were to understand and realize the Dhamma, you become unshakable. He doesn't mean you become a rock. It, it's not that unshakable. It means you are no longer battered by the ups and downs of life. We all are battered by ups and downs of life. I tell you why. 
you have spouse, your spouse, simple thing. The spouse or the girlfriend or boyfriend comes up to you and says, I don't like that. You cannot better already. He hasn't even raised his hand. She hasn't raised her hand. You are battered. She doesn't like it. She doesn't like it. What am I supposed to do with that? What am I supposed to do? You don't like it. Then what am I supposed to do? You are battered. Whereas, if you're on the dumber, you're getting it right. She says, doesn't like it. Okay, you go solve it. Sure. No problem. See that? The difference in the way you deal with things? Sure. Let's do something about it. Then you could do something about it. Okay? Someone else? Yeah. Go ahead. Thank you. Thanks for uh, delivering a very fine talk on the four, on the these seven factors of enlightenment. In fact, you have uh, done much more by telling us the 37 factors of enlightenment. Now, my question is this. You have uh, mentioned about the faculty of faith, faith, and the powers of faith. Now, all religions in this world, they also talk about faith. Now, in what way does the faith preached by the Buddha, in what way? Is it uh, any different or the distinction between faith of different religions? Can you just uh, give uh, some uh, ideas to us? Sadda, faith, is a state of mind. It's a state of mind. A state of mind where the mind believes that's all. As a state of mind, a mind that believes in you or in something. As a state of mind, that state of mind is no difference from any state of mind of faith. So if you're asking for a difference in terms of the faith as a state of mind, there's no difference. It's like saying, I'm sad. It's a Christian sad, a Buddhist sad, a Taoist sad, or a, a, a cult, some cult sad. Different? No lah. Sad is sad. Sad means I, I won't cry. Sad. It's the same. In terms of a state of mind, it's the same. The only difference is in what the Buddha would expect you to develop before you say, I have faith in you. That's different. In the Buddha's practice, in the, in the Buddha's Dhamma, the Buddha doesn't want you to have faith until you have listen to what he has to say. And, and this, is, this is always how it is portrayed. Ehi eh? pasiko, right? Come see for yourself. 
Ehi, come. Sit. Listen. Reflect. Decide. That's a formula. So the first thing proactively, you have to make every step of the way, you, you, you make the decision. Do you decide to go or not to go towards the Dhamma? Ehi. You decide. Do you decide to pay attention or not to pay attention? He says, listen. Do you want to listen? Then he said, reflect. Do you, after listening, put it against your own experience, your own life? And then, after that step, you, when you have already decided, yes, it makes sense. Then, okay, he gave you passport to have faith. Before that, you say you got faith, the Buddha said, uh, okay, law. <laughs> he ain't enthused either. <laughs> That's the difference. In many, in many, many cultures, in many, many civilizations, when they talk about faith, the assumption is we understand, we know, you accept it at face value. In many. In the Buddha's teaching, he doesn't apply it that way. He, he said, you need to reflect. You need to think about what I've said. And then you ask yourself, what has he said? Today, we all go around happily, you know, in the time of the Buddha, no lay person will be sitting down listening to a talk on the 37 factors of enlightenment. In the time of the Buddha, no lay person will give a talk on the 37 factors of enlightenment. I'm serious. How do we know that? Because the Buddha's number one multi-millionaire patron, Anatta Pindika, when he was dying, he was given a Dharma talk on the Four Noble Truth. And he got so happy. It kind of sent him over to the joyous state. And he said, how come I've never heard of this? He, a regular Sunday attendee, you know, has never heard of this. And the Buddha said, and, 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 and Sariputta said, this is not something we teach lay people. So what in the world did the Buddha in his time, what did he teach? And then people have faith. He talked about the merits of generosity and the importance of sila. Because he was trying to help the lay people of the day manage the pain of the ups and downs of life. So they spent a lot of time listening to generosity, to, to morality. And that those are enough to get them into a heavenly state in this life and the next. So in a way, we are fortunate. We're going right into the Dhamma, the heart of the Dhamma. And the fortunate in this generation then will be able to look at the Dhamma the hardcore dhamma, if you like. And decide for yourself, is this hardcore dhamma good enough for you? Does it help you? It must help you. 
if Dhamma works for you, you must feel a few things will happen. Number one, in your daily life, you should feel better. It's, it's, you can manage difficulties, you can manage pain a lot better. And you can recover from the punches better, faster. It will. If you cannot punch, then lay down there, cannot come up type. You really cannot, you haven't understood the Dhamma. Meaning your faith uh, is the wavering faith. If you punch and bounce back very quickly, life punches you, you took it like Tai Chi master. Then you're on the right track. And you feel light, you feel happy about it. Life is manageable, it's easy. You feel good about it. And that's on the right track. And if you feel that way, you'll have faith because it works for you. Okay? Thank you. Uh, can we give a round of applause to Sister Sylvia? And let's say uh, Sadhu three times. Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu.